Good morning, everyone. I'm going to give you uh, two quick announcements. Uh, 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 several weeks ago, I told you that we we're going to put together a book where everybody could contribute anything they wanted to tell Stephen um, about what his ministry has meant to them. We are doing that, but it's not going to be a slapdash effort. So I have been working with a book binder to set the protocols and the dimensions, and we're going to get a mock-up, hopefully this week, and then the elders will decide the protocol for you to uh, make your submittals. We want to make sure that you write something that it, it will be private, that none of us, it won't be passed around for everyone to read. So we'll explain all of that when we actually get it set up. Uh, the second thing I want to announce is just give you an update on the, the search committee. And so people who are on the search committee, if you are here, would you just stand up so the people can again see uh, who you are? The members of the search committee who are at home online, would you stand up so that the people can see you too? Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we have, we're, we're making great progress. Uh, we have three subcommittees. You know we're Presbyterian, so we have to have committees and subcommittees. So we have a church profile committee, which is the purpose is to let the candidates know what our church is all about so that they, they know what they're getting into. The next one is a pastor profile subcommittee. So we want the candidates to know what we're looking for in a pastor. And the third subcommittee is interview questions. These are questions that when we get together with the candidates virtually or live, we will have the same group of questions to ask so that we can compare the answers. Doug has been leading the virtual meetings online. We've already had three Zoom meetings. We meet weekly. Uh, there is great harmony uh, in the search committee and wonderful progress. Um, people are really working hard, and it's much more work than any of us had originally anticipated, but it's moving along very well. Our goal is to have a pastor in place uh, by the end of the year. We're not rushing. We're taking our time so that we can do it right. Okay? Uh, so leading into the sermon for today, uh, there has been a concern that Doug's messages have been at such a high level that the congregation is going to have excessively high expectations of what the new pastor will do. So the elders unanimously voted that I would preach today to bring down your expectations. So are we all on the same page? All right. So uh, thank you so much for coming and Annette for praying for me for the message. Uh, my sermon today is going to be from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, and then we're going to jump to 32 to 33. I'll read the passage, and then I'll go into the message. The title is When Christ is Lifted Up. When Christ is Lifted Up. 
Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew told Philip, and Philip told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it but if it dies, it bears fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So we know that culturally, not just in Western culture, but across the world, lifting up something high into the air is a sign of victory. Tom Brady, if you remember the last Super Bowl, he lifted up the Lombardi Trophy because they won the Super Bowl. Uh, we lift up the game winner uh, onto our shoulders after a match. This action of lifting up is important also to the Christian life. And there are three things I want us to get from today's passage. The condemnation of the cross, the exaltation of the cross, and the witness of the cross. The condemnation, the exaltation, and the witness. So going back to the passage we just read, we're about, let me set the stage. Um, it is Passover week, the biggest festival holiday on the Jewish calendar. And uh, Jesus has just, just left Bethany where he has raised Lazarus. And the people are abuzz with the fact that Jesus has raised Lazarus after he had been dead four days. Now, in Jewish culture, you know from the Bible that there had been other people who had been raised from the dead. But in, in the Jewish teachings, one of the signs of Messiah is that he would raise someone from the dead after he had been dead four days. This is what Jesus did. So even the Pharisees are concerned and they say that these signs are creating a problem and people are beginning to follow Jesus in mass. And Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now during, so the incident with Lazarus was about six days before Passover. Now we're getting to uh, the Friday or Thursday of Passover. And Philip is standing around and some Greeks come up to Philip and say, we want to see Jesus. We don't appreciate what a startling thing this is for Philip. One, for Greeks to be present in Jerusalem 
during Passover. And then secondly, for them, we don't know how big the group of Greeks were. It may have been three, it may have been 30, we don't know. But a group of Greeks come up to Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. And the way they say it is like saying, we have this deep passion, this deep need to see Jesus. Will you take us to him? And Philip is so stunned by this, he doesn't go directly to Jesus. He goes to Andrew and tells Andrew, some Greeks are here to see Jesus. The Greeks, yeah, to see Jesus. And then together, they go to Jesus and they say the same thing. And Jesus gives that statement when I am lifted up. And I'll go into that a little later. But Jesus said, the hour has so when they tell Jesus, some Greeks are here to see you. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So now we're going into the section of our message, which is the condemnation of the cross. Lifted up has layers of meanings. It comes from the Greek word that means to lift up on high, to exalt, to raise to the very summit of opulence and prosperity. It is an incredible word. But we know from the text that Jesus uses this phrase to signify the manner of death he will experience. Jesus is talking about the horror of the crucifixion, an excruciating and humiliating death. The cross is laid on the ground. The victim is forced to lay on top of the cross, and he is nailed. First, he's tied with ropes, and then he's nailed to the cross by his wrists and his ankles. And then the cross by ropes is lifted up so that it is erect and slips down into a hole surrounded by boulders so it won't wave in the breeze. Now, this is a terrible death. It is particularly terrible in the Jewish culture because to be hanged from a tree is a sign that God has cursed the person. I want to read a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 21, starting at verse 22. Deuteronomy 21, starting at verse 22. At this rate, I'm going to get closer and closer. I might be sitting on your lap in just a minute. So the Deuteronomy passage says that if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Cursed by God. So when Jesus is hanging on that cross, 
the Jews who walk by, who jeer at him and make fun of him, know in their minds that God has cursed Jesus and that Jesus is bearing a just penalty. This concept of the crucifixion is so shocking that both Jews and Muslims oppose Christianity on the one of the grounds of their opposition is the crucifixion. For God would never allow his son to be crucified. That is unthinkable. And God's son, who would have the power and dignity and majesty of the father, would never submit to crucifixion. So to tell a Jew or a Muslim that God allowed his son to be crucified on a tree absolutely disproves the legitimacy of the Bible to them. That's how upsetting this concept is. From a human perspective, this crucifixion is unthinkable. It, is, uh, it represents an utter failure. Followed by crowds, casting out demons, healing lepers, raising the dead, restoring sight to a man born blind. All these are miraculous things leading to the conclusion, this must be the Son of God, except he was crucified. So we know that he cannot be the Son of God. He cannot be blessed by God. Rather, we know that God has cursed him. That is the condemnation of the cross, if the story ended there. So the next thing I want to talk about is the exaltation of the cross, which is actually the original reading of the group word, hupso'o, is the exaltation. So Jesus again says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, Jesus had to endure the unthinkable in order to accomplish the unimaginable. In 1 Corinthians, there's this passage of chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then toward the end of the story in the book of Revelation, we have this passage from Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. All of that was accomplished by the cross. I hope my sweet wife won't mind me telling the story. If she does, I need a volunteer to let me sleep at their house tonight. Just come to me. Okay, thank you very much, Dan. One morning, Dana uh, woke up visibly deeply moved spiritually. She had, had this dream, more than a dream. And in this dream, there was this little light in the distance, just a tiny speck. But whether she was moving toward the light or the light was moving toward her wasn't clear. But as the light got closer and closer, she heard all around her these voices, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And it got louder, more powerful, and more beautiful the closer she got to the light until finally she could see the lamb. And she said that everything in her body was just shouting out, worthy is the lamb. This condemnation of the cross was part of God's divine plan to save us. We don't know why God devised this plan because no one else would have thought of it but God. All we know is that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But that crucifixion led to this great exaltation by which all people are drawn to Jesus. And so that gets me to my third point, the witness of the cross. We've talked about the condemnation of the cross, the exaltation of the cross. Now I want to talk about the witness of the cross. In a sense, lifted up, means many things to us on different levels, but it's all about the power of Jesus Christ and the life of the individual and in the life of the world. 
Back in Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah gave this prophecy about the Messiah to come. Isaiah 49, verse 6. He said, it is to light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. To light a thing in, in the Hebrew means it is too small a thing. It is too insignificant to have you die on the cross just to save one people. I'm going to have you die on the cross to save people from every tribe, every nation, every language group. So we go back to how that section started with the Greeks coming to Philip and saying, we want to see Jesus. Jesus always said that I do only what the Father tells me to do. As my Father commands, I obey. He is always listening to when the Father wants him to take the next step. So when his mother said at Capernaum, please, in effect, turn this water to wine, he came up with this amazing statement, my time has not yet come. He disappears during his ministry because his time has not yet come. After he raised Lazarus from the dead and the crowd was so insistent that he go into Jerusalem, he moved into the desert because his time had not yet come. His ears always attentive to when the father says, now is the time. And so Philip and Andrew come to Jesus and say, some Greeks want to see you. Now, no rabbi would have allowed Greeks to approach them. So they're a little hesitant, a little scared, but also really curious because all through his ministry, Jesus has continually shocked them. Some Greeks are here to see you. And now Jesus knows it is time. And so he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He knew that this was God's call to him because it's too light for you to be sacrificed for just this nation, small among nations. You are going to be crucified to save the world. And when the Greeks come, it's like Jesus says to the father, I hear. I know it's time. And he no longer tries to avoid Jerusalem. He goes straight there. There are three, there are many miracles in the Bible. But the three greatest miracles are the incarnation, God became flesh, the crucifixion, God hanging on a cross, and the resurrection. We have this harbor of saying, the gospel changes everything. 
This miracle of the crucifixion, and I call it a miracle because man was not in control of this event. God was in control of this event. That God would take flesh is what a miracle that is. We will never wrap our minds fully around it. And that God would submit himself to the cross. It lifts up our view of God. Whatever box we had put God in, however we constrained him with our own misbeliefs and superstitions, this is a God beyond our expectations. This is a God that we cannot dream up. Our imaginations don't work like this. This is a God who is greater than anything we can imagine. And he shows us his love beyond a doubt by taking form and then being crucified for us. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? We will never have a need to question when life's adversities smack us in the face, does God love me? All we have to do when that question hits is to look at the cross. The cross is evidence that God has a fierce passion for his children. So it lifts up our view of God, that he is a God who cannot be managed, cannot be manipulated, cannot be deceived, cannot be fooled, cannot be cajoled, cannot be managed. This is a God who has control of everything. And he acts out of infinite love through infinite power. But it not only lifts up our view of God, it lifts up our view of ourselves. And here's one of the sweet ironies of the gospel. In order to be lifted up, we have to be brought low. No prideful man has ever entered the kingdom of God. No prideful person who says, I don't need God, or I only need him 5% of the time, knows God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the poor in spirit from the Beatitudes means someone who is spiritually destitute. God has held up his divine mirror, and that person has looked in the mirror, and they go, oh, my goodness. I thought I was pretty good. I, I thought I was moral and upright. But when I see who God is and his holiness and righteousness and magnificence, I go, woe is me. I'm undone, said Isaiah. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. How can I stand before a righteous and holy God? And it is at that point when we realize that we are spiritually destitute, that we have no morality, no righteousness to commend us to God, whatever. If we say to God, give me what I deserve, we go straight to hell. So God lets us go low so that he can bring us high. There's this great passage in Psalm 40. It says, I was in a terrible state. I cried out to God. And he lifted me up out of the horrible pit 
out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. So now our view of ourselves is different. It is not based on race or sex or money or education or any of those human factors that move us. It is based on the love, power, and majesty of God. We are now the children of God. We are not just the head of a company or uh, the father of five or uh, a mother who has a family and a business. No, we are sinners saved by a loving God. And when it lifts up this view of ourselves, it enables us to deal with the beast. The beast is that part of our lives, call it the flesh if you want to, memories. The beast is the one who knows the things we've done that we are terrified other people will find out about. And that if they knew us as we know ourselves, they would turn away, they would despise us, they would want to disassociate. And most of us have a beast. And generally speaking, the beast is quiet, but every once in a while we can hear it growl in the back of our minds and that beast says, I know you're such a liar. You're such a hypocrite. You remember what you did last year and, and you just are filled with despair because what the beast is saying is true. We can't say, oh, that's, that's, that never happened. It did happen. So what do we do? We know that everything the beast says about us, though true, has been nailed to the cross. And when we look at Jesus on that cross, every time you see a cross or crucifixion, in your mind's eye, you should see every sin you've ever committed hanging up there. It has all been crucified with him. We have been set free. We are now not separated from God by our behavior. We're brought into relationship with God by Jesus's behavior. So not only this, this great gospel not only lifts up our view of God, it lifts up our view of ourselves, and it lifts up our view of other people. Because all of a sudden, we don't see them as white or black or gay or straight or Chinese or American. We're all sinners, desperately in need of a gracious God. And so we know that we are not better than anyone else. We are no more deserving of salvation than anybody else. In fact, we could say we are equally undeserving of salvation as everybody else. And so we are able to look at people in a way through the, through the, the shadow of the cross, the cross that extends over us and that lifts us up out of our sin is the cross that shadows other people 
and lifts them up out of sin as well. And it lifts us up. It lifts up our future and our hope. It lifts up our future and our hope. Some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouths, and some people are born with sawdust. I want you to imagine this man standing, uh, and every day he walks along the street, and there is this beautiful house on a hill. And every day he walks by, and he, and he says, I wish I had a house like that. I wish I could live there. And he said, but, you know, I'll never be able to afford anything like that. I, I, they wouldn't even allow me in, in their house. And, and one day he walks by and he sees for the notices for the first time, somebody in the doorway going like this. And he just ignores this. Couldn't be looking around. It must be signaling to somebody else every day. But finally the man comes down and says, why do you keep come, come, come up? I want you to see something. And hesitantly, you go to the house, and there on the sign it says, Catalina's house. Laura Cresswell's house. Robert's house. And sure enough, there's the deed of trust, and it's your name on it. And we go, I, 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 can't afford, I can't afford this. What's well, already been paid for? Well, I, I, can't, I can't afford the maintenance. Somebody's already taking care of the maintenance. Well, what am I supposed to do? Live in it! <laughs> that's all you're supposed to do is live in it and enjoy it. And that's what God says to each one of us. And sometimes our, our failings, our sins, they, 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 they grip us and we say, well, there's no way I deserve that house. True! But Jesus deserves it. And Jesus says, I'm sharing this with Beth. I'm sharing this with Sandy. That's why I put your name on it. When Jesus says this phrase, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to me. That I is stated twice. And it emphasizes that Jesus and his cross are the crux of our witness. We are not saved by logic, nor is anyone else. We are not saved by our cleverness, neither is anyone else. We are not saved by our eloquence, neither is anyone else. We are not supposed to draw attention to ourselves, but to Christ. We do not save people. Christ saves people. Our job is not to save. Our job is to lift up the cross before them. To tell people about Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And when we know this, we are free from technique. 
We are freed from failure. Oh, I didn't say it right. Oh, I didn't do the right thing. I should have put it this way. And it depresses us and we go, I'm not doing this anymore. I just failed at it miserably because we think wrongly that our job is to save rather than to proclaim. So it, the cross frees us from being tied up in technique. I'm not saying don't study ways that make you more comfortable in sharing the gospel. That's fine. But it is not technique that saves. It's the Holy Spirit who saves. It frees us also from failure. And also it frees us from success. What I mean by that? My goodness. Sometimes the worst people to be around as Christians are Christians who have led other people to Christ. Oh, my goodness. Have you been around that person? I have to tell you, I have been such a person. I remember once speaking in Colorado Springs, and some, like, incredible number of men came to Christ that day. It was the Christian Businessmen's Association. And so I'm talking with Skip Shantz about six months later, and they told me we've never had that kind of response to any message. That's the most people that came to Christ ever. And I humbly shared that with Skip. He said, that's marvelous. I came up there two months after you, and 32 men came to Christ. Oh, did I rejoice? No. I was upset. He outdid me. How horrible of me. The cross frees us from success. And we learn that it is not about us. We didn't succeed. We didn't fail. All we're called to on is to obey and tell people about Jesus. So I want to ask you to lift up Jesus in your heart today and every day. To lift him up in the eyes of other people by the way we treat them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that our Lord was lifted up that he did not stay in the grave that he did not come down from the cross, though he was jeeringly urged to do so. But he did come up from the grave on the third day. And he did ascend to heaven where he now reigns. Please, God, lift up Jesus in our hearts and minds every day for the rest of our lives. Amen.